and we're passing it off to Carl and Jesse. Not that I need a microphone, <laughs> but it's, it's good for, it, it's for the web. It's for the web. Hi, web. Do people call it the web anymore? Did I just take us back to the 90s? You're welcome. All the way back. Hi! I'm so glad to be here with you guys. I've been at, at Royal Family Kids Camp all week. I left from church, basically, and went to camp. I came back Friday night. And then uh, we had Saturday recovery. I wasn't sure. Devin was there. I wasn't sure. She's been watching me talk in the morning all week. I thought maybe you had enough. Uh, Coach Devin at camp. So round of applause for her. <laughs> Serving these foster kids, kids in the system. Um, and uh, I know uh, David. And I'm looking at the camera now for the web. You guys remember the web. And Jen, you guys at home, they served too. It was a wonderful week. Uh, the kids were great, um, and I'm riding the high of the experience and feeling the low of being exhausted, <laughs> so here we are. Um, last week, uh, we began our series on Ruth, which we're really excited, and we shared the whole story, but if you weren't paying attention, looking at some of you, we are going to recap it here in a minute uh, and go back through it, and also, Daniel ruined our, our secret surprise Spoilers about Tamar and Judah, we're going to talk about that too. Jesse says it's, it wasn't a secret surprise. So that's fine. Yeah. So um, will you pray with us, and then we'll get started. Uh, God, thank you so much for this opportunity to be here together in your presence and, and in our presence with each other together. We thank you that you have uh, blessed us to be uh, brothers and sisters in the, the family of God a family of Jesus. Um, we pray that you'd magnify the love and care we have for each other here and our brothers and sisters who aren't here uh, all, all around our city, in our neighborhoods, and all around the world. Um, and I just pray that you'd be with Jesse and I as we seek to share this word and to, um, to hear from the, those gathered here today um, your, your word to all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, everybody. Um, so um, we're in the middle week of three Sunday mornings where we're spending time in the book of Ruth. Last week, we uh, spent time with the entire story. We uh, shared the story with you um, in a sort of slightly dramatized fashion, uh, the entire book, uh, and we talked a little bit you know, had dialogue about what was sort of coming to the surface. We were hoping and we were uh, really pleased that uh, the opportunity to sit with the entire story and to look at it in a different way might allow different surprising things to come to the surface. And we heard from you um, last week and we've been hearing sort of all week about different things that that rose up for you as you experience this entire story. Um, and we're going to sort of respond to some of those things this week uh, and next week. Um, but I wanted to start by asking, again, uh, for your voices to be in this, in this space. 
what were what, what have been some of the things that have have been sitting with you from the story of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz um, since since last Sunday? I'm I'm wondering if I could just hear from from two or three of you um, briefly. Has there been anything that has sort of I don't know rolled through your mind more than once? Yes. That's fantastic. I'm just going to repeat and distill a little bit of that for the, the web, the net, you know. Um, the, uh, the texture of each individual story of the human beings along the genealogy of Jesus that, that we have an opportunity to, when we, when we look at their experience from our own human eyes and through the lens of their human story, the tapestry of, of Jesus' genealogy becomes richer. Thank you. Is there one or two more Little observations, yes. Thank you. Just to distill one once more, um, the ways in which God has chosen um, people who might otherwise be outsiders or outcast or um, not seen as a part of the the main and the plain story, right? Um, being not only part of the story but but crucial in building the family tree of Jesus. And that this is instructive for us as we um, have opportunities to interact with, intersect with uh, people in our communities who may not be from around here. Thank you. Um, wonderful. So, so the story of Ruth, um, one of the things that surfaced for us last week, really it came up as we were in conversation with all of you, uh, that has been resonating with us is is actually very much b- grounded in this idea of the human beings in the story, uh, and these human beings who are who are making choices, sometimes forced into a moment of making choice, but often actually not just forced, but take, sometimes even taking initiative, sometimes even stepping out 
beyond their constraints or working within their constraints to make choices and to take initiative to shape their futures, right? And that was, I think, really, really interesting to us, this idea that the story is sort of structured around the actions, initiative, and choices of the main characters. And then in turn, how the story responds to and is then shaped by these choices. People, Ruth, Naomi, Boaz, Orpa, and others making choices within their enormous and different kinds of constraints. Making choices in a world where God is always already at work, but it may not always already be clear what God is up to what the long-range story of God is here. Here we are, limited, human, constrained, and sometimes oppressed, um, make, having to not just sort of be, make choices when we're not really offered a good choice, but sometimes even having to step out and take initiative and, and create and produce an opportunity or uh, a, a choice that, that wasn't presented to us by anyone in a plain sense. So we thought that we would go through the story of the book of Ruth really quite quickly, just highlighting the choices that are made by the characters. There are, we, we start with the sort of given conditions. Naomi and Ruth, um, part of a family that uh, headed by Elimelech who moved to Moab in the event of a famine, were sort of dropped into these given circumstances, being in uh, this, li this little family, um, in, planted in a new place, um, marrying their sons into that place, and then the men all die, right? And so the women, one from another place, two living in that place, being, you know, from that place, are left bereft. So they're not offered good choices. Um, Naomi makes the first choice here. She decides, I'm going to go home, right? And initially, her daughters-in-law just follow along, right? But then she actually turns to them and sort of offers a sort of crossroads in this journey story. Um, and says, you should just go home. You should just go back to your families. So she does offer them a choice. She recognizes there's, there's not really a good choice. She discerns that this might be the best. And so her daughters-in-law then have to decide. Orpa decides to return home. She opts to, to, stay, to go back with her family, become the opportunity to become a wife again right, in a context in which women have very little uh, elbow room, mobility agency movement, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sensible choice. It's one that is a, it's a gracious offering by Naomi. But Ruth chooses to remain a daughter. And she actually, she wasn't offered this choice. <laughs> she just, she, in, she takes it. She says, I'm not going, I'm refusing to do, um, the, the thing that you suggested, and I'm instead going to stay with you, right? It's actually the first of just two refusals where people say no in the story. No, I'm going to do something different than what you say, right? So, so the, the choices of, of Naomi to go back, 
the choice of Ruth to go with her. Then they land in in Bethlehem, and the next choice is Ruth deciding, I'm going to go out to work. I'm actually going to put my, my, myself on the line, my body on the line, to gain resource for us, right? It's, I'm the one who can do it. So she makes that choice. And then Boaz, the first, our first introduction to him is actually just him observing this woman, paying attention, noticing what she's doing, how, uh, her level of integrity, her level of commitment, her level of courage in taking initiative here. And he responds to this choice and to her choice to remain with Naomi by extending charity, dignity, grace, and a kind of covering um, to her. Ruth then responds to his charity by staying through the harvest. But our next real like piece of initiative where a character steps out into a little bit of an unknown space is, okay, we've got this relatively good status quo, but Naomi has an idea, right? <laughs> she has a little plan. Uh, based on her knowledge of the culture and of this um, rule that exists um, within the law of the covenant redeemer. She knows about it. But one thing that's interesting is no covenant redeemers seem to be just poking up their hand to save these women, right? So she makes a choice and she shapes this circumstance that Ruth assents to, right? To, um, to take a chance and, f- and maybe find a way to gain some stability and dignity and um, family connection, right? She essentially creates this um, circumstance that might make a life for Ruth by having Ruth offer herself to Boaz for marriage. And Boaz, interestingly, again, responds primarily observing the integrity and courage of Ruth, right? And his response um, is very... um, I think it's really interesting uh, that we have a woman who says, here I am, available for marriage, and he says, let me consult the law, right? Uh, (laughs) And so he chooses to um, be very deliberate in making sure, if we're going to do this, let's do it right, right? He, He then crafts his own little plan, his own little scheme, and chooses to finesse the other more proximate relative in the policy um, uh, bylaws, right, Um, in order to marry Ruth in the right way, right? So we see this fascinating happy ending. Um, as, As somebody mentioned last week, consolation from desolation, right? Blessing from curse, sweetness from bitterness, and it's crafted through the choices of these characters. I just want to say one more word about this idea of the covenant redeemer before I hand it over to to Carl, but um, I mentioned this idea of the covenant redeemer, this idea that the law does provide a means to care for women and others made vulnerable by a culture that otherwise does not offer them any power. And, and the way it's sort of phrased is um, this is what should happen. If someone is, is widowed, the, the, um, there is a, there's a group of relatives who should uh, step in and um, 
unvulnerable them, right? To take care of them, provide protection under their wing, marry them, right? But it should not be taken for granted that we see Boaz actually doing it, right? It seems that uh, we have a lot of, we have a w women who should be taken care of, but are left bereft. And we see Boaz actually choosing to step into that covenant redeemer role. The um, covenant redeemer, the, the more proximate one, um, who strolls in and, and is willing to sort of buy, buy the, take the property, right? But when he discovers that there are other elements to that, namely a wife, he says, oh, no, no, never mind, <laughs> right? Uh, that would make things really complicated for me. Uh, he turns what is, what is framed in the law as a responsibility into sort of a right that he chooses to walk away from because it would interfere, right? Whereas we see Boaz um, shaping things around an intention to, um, to step into that responsibility. And in, in, in many ways, I just want to mention that this is a down payment in some ways on the story of Jesus, um, the, who is, who is um, the crown of this genealogy, yes, and who um, makes the first move to protect us, to fulfill the promise um, that um, requires um, initiative. It, it exists as potential energy, but it's not fulfilled until um, Jesus says yes. So, yeah, we have this covenant redeemer, kinsman redeemer is a language that's used sometimes concept. It goes back to Levitical law. Uh, so it's actually in Leviticus, it says, you know, if your, your brother's wife dies, then you, you got to marry her to take care of him. And, and one of the things we refer to in the story that might not translate is the, any children that would come from the union would be in the name of your brother. So you, you don't, they don't get to carry on your name, they carry on your brother's name. So it jeopardizes your personal inheritance sort of thing is part of it, which is why, as Jesse alluded to, while this was a law, it probably didn't happen all the time. It probably happened when it was convenient. Like, oh, Free wife and land, I'm in, like, sort of thing. And when it was not convenient, like, I'll pass, as if it was a, uh, an option and not something God commanded people to do to take care of women, right, uh, and take care of the children and things like that. And, um, you know, we see a lot of this. We, we know from political law, people who's, who do know about these, I'm going to make brief allusions, this concept of jubilee, like, hey, every so many years we're going to give everything back to the original people so nobody's stuck in multi-generational poverty. They never actually did it. Because it turns out that once people have property, they like to keep it, is what really happens. And so I want to give another example. And there's a number of these uh, that uh, Daniel made reference to, the Canaanite woman, these stories where um, outsiders need resources need something, and they uh, are rejected, but they persist. The story I'm going to reference, just again briefly, it's referenced in the story of Ruth, right? They say, uh, may, may this child be to you like Perez was to Tamar. And the line of this family is from Perez. Perez, the child of Judah and Tamar. So this is their, like, family origin story. This is their Marvel issue one, like, 
spider bites you story. This is where their family comes from. It's not a great story. My apologies. We were talking, like, we didn't tell this one to the kids on purpose. Um, so for the youth amongst us, sorry about this. Um, but, but here we go. So very briefly. So in, I'm not going to read it. It's in Genesis 38. You look it up. I'll tell you the story, though. Uh, so in the story of Tamar, we have Judah. Judah is one of, of the children of Jacob, also known as Israel. This is the tribes, the tribe of Judah, later the country of Judah, okay? Judah marries uh, an unnamed, in the story, Canaanite woman, okay? This story is it's so weird. This story, Genesis 38, is wedged in the middle of the Joseph narrative, it's after Joseph has been sold into slavery. Then we do this little story, and then we deal with what happened. Well, what happened to Joseph anyway? So it's a weird little story bite. Okay, so coming back. Judah marries an unnamed Canaanite woman. She has three sons. These are Judah's sons. Ur, number one. Onan, number two. And I always get the third one wrong. Uh, we think Shelah, number three. Okay? Uh, those of you who are uh, old school might recognize the name of Onan. Here we go. Um, so Judah finds a wife for Ur, Tamar. Tamar, uh, another Canaanite woman, marries his first son, Ur. Um, and as seems to happen a lot in these stories, Ur dies. Okay? And so then, to take care of Tamar uh, and to follow the tradition, what will become a law Judah says to Onan, hey, I need you to marry your brother's former wife, have children, carry on the line. And um, Onan does marry Tamar, and he sleeps with her, but he refuses to impregnate her. Uh, he spills his seed upon the ground, is what it says. We get the term Onanism from this. It's a gross part of the story. And not only is it sort of visceral and unpleasant, but think about, this is sexual abuse. He's taking sexual advantage of a woman, and all she really wants out of the relationship is to have children and a line and safety and security, especially because this man is clearly not really a, a loving husband. So he takes advantage of her and doesn't even deliver on the whole purpose of the arrangement. Uh... Onan dies. Actually, the scripture says, God got real mad and Onan died. Um, we won't delve into that theology today, but maybe not out of the question. So at this point, Judah is concerned. <laughs> He's down two sons of three, uh, from his perspective, to being married to this woman. And Shelah is young, so he's like, hey, girl. <laughs> Maybe let's wait until Shelah grows up. No big deal. Don't live in my house, though, anymore. Go live with your father, and we will totally get you guys married later when he grows up. Yes? Fine? We're all fine here, right? And she does. She leaves. Uh, Judah's wife, the unnamed Canaanite woman, dies, uh, and time has passed. Shelah has grown up. But the marriage didn't happen. Oh, no. <laughs> um... And Judah is now traveling on business. Uh, and he's going to be traveling near where Tamar is living with her family. And she hears about it. Hey, you know, 
your father-in-law is going to be nearby. And so she, who has lived through the loss of two husbands, the abuse of her second, the abandonment of the promised third, has decided not to sit quietly by. She takes initiative. What can she do? She goes out to the crossroads. She dresses herself as a temple prostitute at the crossroads. Crossroads prostitutes being not uncommon in the ancient world, uh, a convenient way for people to legitimize um, this sort of thing. Uh, Judah shows up. He would like to sleep with her. Uh, he promises her a goat for payment. She says, you don't have a goat, so how can I know you're going to pay me back? He says, hey, take, here's my seal of my house, my staff, my cord. You, like, my credit is good, and you now know who I am. You can identify me publicly. We're good here. And she sleeps with him. And then she goes back to her father's house. Uh, Judah does attempt to send goat payment, uh, but when he does, they're, they're like, there's no temple prostitute around here. What are you talking about? And he's like, oh no, my seal and cord is with this woman. Time passes, um, Tamar's pregnant, and pregnant out of wedlock. So uh, that comes back to him. He's, he's the, the, one of the male authorities in her life. They're like, hey, this woman, is got, she's pregnant. He's like, okay, well, we're definitely going to stone her then. Let's kill her for, for being wanton. Uh, and she's like, hey, before you do that, just so you know, I can tell you who got me pregnant. Here's his seal and his staff and his cord. And in the story... Judas says she, in her actions, was more righteous than me and mine. She held us to account. She did maybe what she had to do to get by. And so Perez is born and lives and takes on inheritance. Um, and that's the father uh, of the story of people. And that's what happens when the covenant redeemer doesn't show up, when they say no. Um, and that's the kind of hard choices that get made sometime. Oh my gosh, I went really long. I got excited, guys. Okay. Um, so I think, I hope that you can see in these two stories, Ruth and Boaz, a difference between the choices that are offered and responded uh, and the choices that are offered and rejected. Do you see how the Tamar story in this line points up the Boaz story? Like, this is the bad way, is the Judah tale uh, and, and Tamar. And in Ruth, we see a, a much better expression of good choices in dark times, right? We see how important it is to take initiative that... Sometimes people do things that are coloring outside of the lines uh, in a way to try to get by and that sometimes it can work towards uh, good things. Um, and so this is really the, the heart of what we want to talk today about is, these, is initiative and choices and taking action. We want to talk about 
what this looks like for us when we're living in fallen systems, when people aren't behaving in the way that they're supposed to behave, when, when we're stuck in systems of oppression sometimes, we're with history of oppression sometimes, but also that we're not alone in this. We are not the only actors in a cruel world. The kingdom of God, which created all of this, everything is still active, present, and undergirds all of it. And that God is moving always and making a way in the midst of oppression. The whole concept of covenant redeemer is a weird and in a better world in the kingdom come an unnecessary concept. It's only necessary because of all of the twistedness that does not allow women to own property and to have security. If all we have is men, then we're going to have to make men do the right thing. That's why it exists. But it's God's movement to try to fix something in the midst of a broken system until we get to the kingdom in its fullness. So as we think about how we make choices um, and initiative, I want to think about there are some edge cases to this where we can get ourselves into trouble. Uh, The first one is where I tend to live which is, I just want to wait for God to do everything. I'll just sit back, mind my P's and Q's, and God will do the stuff. And God will give me an engraved, you know, gold-edged invitation anytime it's time for me to go and do something. He will definitely tell me, or I'll read the Bible, and it'll tell me what to do on a Tuesday and what to do on a Wednesday. And that's what I wait for. And that means I'm not taking any initiative. I'm expecting God to do all of the things and do all the initiative. And I think that that's a mistake. I think that God is laying out for us all the time opportunity. God says, hey, in the midst of a broken world where people are working for the ill and where the enemy is against us, I am working to redeem and fix everything. Here's an option for you. Are you in? Are you in? Are you in? Are you in? Lots of options, but you have to take them. And it's never going to be just the rules. Just do this thing today. Sometimes it's going to be real easy. It's like, oh, I have some food and there's a hungry person. That's going to be an easy one. But not often. And you can miss that one too. Uh, And I do all the time. Maybe you live, and this is another place I live, where you're so terrified that you're going to make the wrong choice and just ruin everything for God. God will never be able to fix it now. I did the wrong thing. I went to the wrong college. So that's it for humanity. Had I just gone to Ohio State, we'd all have been fine. But now we're doomed. Um, I think, not only do I think that lots of times God doesn't care which college you go to exactly, or he's good with whatever you want to do, I think that lots of times, even if you do make a bad choice, and we'll talk about this more at the end, God is a redeemer. God fixes things. God can take the bad and help you find a way to bring it to the good. The other side of this I want to talk about, the necessary danger, uh, initiative, and choices is, oh, I hear you, Carl. Get out there and do stuff. I'm on it. God will be with me no matter what I do. God helps those who help themselves, right? You know, you don't, you know, you got to get out there and make things happen. And maybe some people, some of us, have found success, and you think, oh, success means I'm doing what God wants me to do. 
I'm making money. My family is happy. This must be the way. We're all working in broken systems. So whatever success is, it doesn't necessarily mean you're on the right track. So it's important, I think, to find this balance away from the edges of inaction or terrified of action or like random aggressive action, like I'll just do whatever I want and God's right behind me. Um, there's some schools of Christianity that are very much about name it and claim it uh, and about wealth gathering as scorekeeping um, that we have to be cautious about too. So we wanted to talk about those cases. Um, so I ran us out of time. You, will you guys give us five extra minutes today? Yes? Do you want to do your section and I'll do the other section? Okay. So just briefly as a way of sort of anchoring some of the thinking that you're doing in preparation for next week when we're going to talk more about um, the idea of taking initiative or taking action within constraints um, and also paying attention to how God shows up uh, before, during, after, within, around that. Um, I just want to ask a couple of questions. I'm, I'm, I want to invite, again, for you to take one minute and turn to someone and, and actually just think about the story and all of the choices. And you could think about um, the Tamar and Judah story, and you can think about the Ruth, Boaz, and Naomi story. Um, but whose choice are you most drawn to? or most uh, perplexed by, or most uh, kind of intrigued by? And why? Why, why, why that moment? What is it that, that anchors you to that choice? So if you could just look at someone, make eye contact, and find yourself in a tiny little discussion group, and just have a moment to, to lift that up. Just whose story, whose initiative taking are you most drawn to and why? So just about 30 seconds more, just a if, moment more. Okay, I'm sorry to have to interrupt you, but I'm wondering if there might be one or two people who might be willing to, to share either what they shared with their little group or what they heard from someone else. Yes. I shared that he appreciated how God uses our foolishness to bring good. And Stephen shared about Boaz's faithfulness. And I always, uh, Boaz, as a woman who was abandoned, I think Boaz is such a hero. And I love how Ruth just stuck with Naomi through thick and thin. 
Thank you very much. Foolishness and faithfulness, um, both uh, used by God. Um, is there one more person who might like to say something? How about from this section, this fantastic section? Yes? I'm just going to reiterate what she said, just that Tamar was a strong woman and much props to her for making the choice that she made. And, you know, it's maybe frowned upon by many, but you don't see a lot of examples of, like, strong women acting in Scripture. So just, yeah, I love, I like that. Thank you. (laughs) Brilliant. Fantastic. So um, I hope that you continue to turn those moments over um, in your in your mind. What did it, what is it about the the choices either that you see um, in yourself or in others or that that trouble you? I think that it makes sense if there are elements of the actions taken and the initiative taken in any of these stories that that cause you to pause and think and say, "Wait a minute." Um, I also want to invite you, and, and this is something that we'll bring up next week in our, in our third Sunday morning, um, are there moments either in your experience, in your life, or in your observation of other people where there's a moment of action taking or initiative taking in the context of constraints? You know, how, how has this come to the surface in your life or in your environment? Um, when, when have you made a choice um, with maybe even make, created a new possibility or choice uh, in the midst of constraints and, and, and also consider how have you seen God showing up in that, in your own life or in the life of others? So that'll be for next week. We're going to get ready for a communion. Um, just wanted to leave you with a few more words um, about action because um, one of the things that we believe, I believe, is that we're not um, alone in this, that, that God is not only active in trying to break and fix and change systems, that the God is active individually in us. We believe in the Holy Spirit who's with us and is an inviter, a, a lover of us and an inviter of us. And so as you consider this week um, choices and actions from the past, when you consider what is in front of you today, I did want to say this first. Sometimes the action that we're called to is inaction. That might look like rest when you need rest, a ceasing from striving. It might look like stability when you want to flee, to stay for a while. It might look like waiting for a choice or for something that is coming or for, for God to speak to you or for transformation. So there are inactions that we're called to. Sometimes the actions that we're called to are straightforward and within a system. Uh, There are opportunities in our lives in the regular day-to-day 
to engage in the good work that God is doing in this world. So we can do things in front of us and things that are within the system and things that are inside of the lines. Sometimes we're called to that. Sometimes I think as we live within fallen systems and structures, we have to cross lines. We want to be careful when we do that. It's more dangerous to ourselves and to the systems that we're in to do that. But sometimes that's the right choice. Perhaps within the structure of a family you're in, where you don't talk about the bad thing, it's time to cross a line and have that conversation. Perhaps there are other systems you find yourself in at work. I know when I worked for a bank, it was policy not to help people sometimes. And sometimes I did and sometimes I didn't. But when I did cross that line, I was being faithful. Thoughtfully engage those questions. And finally, for those of us who feel we are many years downstream from choices that we make or initiative we didn't take, know that it is never, never, never too late in the kingdom of God. There is always opportunity. Beauty for ashes. A bountiful harvest for the years the locusts ate. I promise you. And it might not be fully realized in your lifetime today, but in its the fullness of your eternal life, it will, I promise. God has put it in my heart right now. Um, I think maybe some of you guys have issues with dead people. Some unforgiveness for hurt, genuine hurt, from people who have passed away. Thankfully, with forgiveness, the other person doesn't have to be around. So I want to encourage, if there's anybody today who's struggling with that, that you can begin the work and the journey of forgiveness, even if someone is gone, you don't have to be shackled to them and to the things that they did in your life forever anyway. Will you guys stand? Jesus Christ, on the night we was betrayed, he took bread and broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He said, I will be broken to redeem you, to set things aright, to create new choices. In the same way, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Our God pours himself out endlessly as a fountain to forgive, to redeem, to restore. And there's no end to the covering blood of Jesus. Amen. We're going to sing one more song. We have some prayer people up. And uh, I just encourage you guys, if you're ready to ask for prayer today, to come and, and talk to somebody and get some prayer. If you if you're not if you don't know the prayer people and you're nervous about it, maybe there's somebody else here you feel safe with that you feel willing to pray. And I would just ask if somebody asks you to pray for them today, even if you're a little weird about it, just do your best. <laughs> Be praying for people.
God bless you guys.